a homebrew podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Jason. Hello. Our guest today is the vice president of the largest and oldest homebrew club in Oregon, the Oregon Brew Crew. He is an accomplished fundraiser. He is well known for being an equipment guru. In 2017, he was one of three collaborator winners and had the opportunity to brew his Lazy Bee American Amber Ale with honey and smoked hops on Widmer's 10-barrel innovation brewing system. He will be presenting on experimenting with smoked hops at the AHA Homebrew Con this year. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to see you. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good, thanks. Good. Fantastic. So I think we can start right there with you brewed on a 10-barrel system. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Uh, it was really fun. Um, the system that Widmer has is a fully automated system. So it's four. It's a 10-barrel system, and there's four tanks, basically. So you've got the mass ton, you've got a lotter ton, then you've got the boil kettle, and then you had the uh, whirlpool. Mm-hmm. And we essentially didn't do anything except add hops okay add the honey right everything else is done by a computer screen to tell it to move to change temperatures do whatever we needed to do we had some issues there was a little bit of uh uh shenanigans going on on brew day but you know as a home brewer it's nothing but fighting shenanigans and yeah (laughs) um, figuring out doing problem solving you know almost every time you brew that there's something that happens but it was fun to watch the great thing about that system and and these guys that are brewing for the tap room Mm. They, that system is a mini system of Widmer's main system. Sure. So they can do test batches on that, make whatever changes they need to do, and then they can take that. And I don't mean the recipe of the beer itself, mm. but the process of all the settings. Sure. Transfer that over to the main system, and then they can just brew it, upscale it over there. So they have the scaling up down to a science. Yeah, Absolutely. So those, it's essential to have those guys on that small-scale level, and it's hard to think of a 10-barrel system as a small-scale system, but yeah. for them it is, since I think they're brewing 250 barrels on the large system. So for them to be able to fine-tune and, and to make any tweaks or to just uh, – a lot of the beers they're also making are strictly just for the tap room itself you mm-hmm. know, that are just being poured there. I think they keep 27 taps at the tap room, and that's all theirs. Wow. So 27. That's that's from. a bunch. But I guess if you can do 250 barrels at a time, it makes that job a little bit easier. Yeah. But, I mean, they're try- the, the guys, Dan Munch and Tom Bly, um, they're really just focusing on those small batches and having fun with it. And mm. Like I said, some experimentation. What's Widmer looking for? What do they need to distribute? What are people drinking in Indiana or drinking in Pennsylvania or Massachusetts or something that they need to make changes? So they're not necessarily – brewing for local people they're sometimes making changes because there's different brewing or different drinking patterns in other parts of the country so Mm. sure absolutely so it was it was fun day uh being able to brew with them but it was really kind of just watching the system do its thing like i said we ended up putting the honey into the whirlpool so that was uh that was a trip to costco to get 50 pounds of honey we ended up putting in the 10 barrel 50 pounds of honey yeah. How much sugar? And, you know, uh, they were all in these little plastic containers, and we didn't want to sit there. Uh, so I don't know. One of the people came up with the brilliant idea of just getting some hot water and dropping these containers in the in some buckets of hot water. Yeah. So that when we poured them out, it, they just drained right out. Oh yeah. Actually, that worked out well. Uh, that reminds me of like uh, I uh, I used to do the same thing when I did extract brewing like years ago. Like just take the can if sure. you're using like liquid extract, just. Sure. Throw it in a sink full of hot water to get it out, yeah. One of the times that I was making that batch of my the, – the batch that I brewed with them, yeah, I had my jar. It was a glass jar of honey, and I was sitting over top of my boil kettle, draining it out, waiting, waiting, waiting. Mm. Like, when is it going to – and it slipped out of my hand and fell into the boil kettle. Oh. So now I'm with my spoon trying to fish it back out. That's well, by fun. the time I got it, it was completely clean. There was no honey or anything left in it. Right? Like, next it, time I'm just going to use tongs and set the <laughs> – Set, set the well, jar well, in that there. was a good way to get it out of there. Done. You yeah. know what? And it's still it's still boiling, so like sanitation's not an issue. Like oh yeah, it wasn't a big deal. It was it, you know. But what I typically do is I'll drain off of the from the bottom of the kettle. I'll drain some wort out into mm-hmm. the jar once I get so much out of it, and just swirl it and do that five or six times until the gla- the jar is clean. I got you. What would have been bad is if the jar had actually busted at the bottom of the kettle. That would not have been good. So yeah, that would have been. I mean, it would have come out. I mean, it, you know. So, so you ferment with some shards of glass. You know, <laughs> it'll cold crash and it'll stay down at the bottom. There's some nice fruity esters from glass. I hear. Is uh, that a? That's sure. not. That's not a thing, sure. right? 
That's fantastic. Well, s- speaking of fruit, I smell a little fruit on the, the beer that you chose for today. That's normally how we start the show, but I was so excited about you brewing on a 10-barrel system, I, I skipped right to that. Uh, so today, the episode will be uh, entitled Straight Out of Newport with Brian Haslip. Uh, and so, Brian, why'd you choose Straight Out of Newport by Rogue for us today? Well, I'm a big fan of Rogue. Uh, I know John. I'm actually good friends with John. And, okay. um, you know, a lot of their beers are really malty, but mm. this one is just a true real west coast ipa and it's i just truly love it it's easy drinker it, it can be dangerous because it's 8.7 percent of the rogue beers this was one this is one of my favorites and it's just a recent addition that they've added to their uh, profile so it's tremendous i so i i typically stay away from the double ipas because i mm-hmm. feel like they they have like a cloying sweetness to them because they, yeah they do because in there this is not that no this uh, right seems very but you classic. do get a little sweetness you do get that fruitiness and I think that layering that you get on your tongue that that's from the sweetness mm. and most double IPAs are going to do that especially triples I, I had one of their triples last night well I think I think for me I agree it's got the sweetness in there but it's not like a pound you over the head sweetness it's really delicate you could see like oh man this. It's, it's still an I like I feel like most doubles and triple IPAs don't they don't they, it's like it is in fact its own style it's a new thing but they don't this kind of brings you back to an IPA as well sure it, yeah it's, it's an easy drinker for me I'm yeah. you know I, yeah it's gonna get a little it's gonna get a little fun in here now you have a, a growler of this beer to go so uh, so I was unable to find it in cans last night and I was a little worried but I was at Rogue and um, they have it on tap there so I ended up just buying a growler of it to bring back so. Uh, I may have a early evening tonight because if I, I won't drink the whole thing, but I have <laughs> yeah. to have some friends over after the podcast and uh, share the wealth. Absolutely. Well, it's some definitely good wealth to share. We're glad you chose it for us straight out of Newport. So uh, can I ask you uh, uh, maybe a slightly, well, it's not really a technical question, but the brew that you ended up doing on that uh, on that system, how big is that beer? Uh, like five and a half to six percent. Okay, even with the added uh, honey. Honey. Yep. That's okay. Okay. All right. That was just me trying being. To remember, I'm trying to remember what we what we finished at mm. there. I want to say twelve Plato because okay. they most professional brewers don't do OG like us. Mm. <laughs> uh, we specifically like it. Specifically like it. When, yeah. when when people measure things in Plato, oh well, certainly with your name, right? uh, yeah. Plato's <laughs> gravity is a is a. When people who don't brew ask me why I picked that name for the show, it's like, okay, well, first of all, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about how to make a beer. Right. I'm I'm just trying to see if I can't find a chart online to tell me if the twelve was right. Oh, here's one. Plato to SG conversions. So twelve Plato was about ten fifty. So maybe we hit thirteen. I think. Okay. All right. Uh, at the end of all of it. We had a little issue at the beginning of the day. Like I said, there was some shenanigans going, and there was a valve that um, was not opening correctly, and they weren't able to bring enough hot water in. Okay. So when we mashed in, we mashed in with like 100 deg- 120 degree water. Okay. And we had to fire up the steam jacket to kind of bring everything up. Yeah. Um, so that kind of threw us off. And then when we sparged, they still hadn't gotten that valve replaced, so we mm. were sparging with 120 degree water because that was the hottest we could get it. So that kind of killed our efficiency a little bit. I think it might have been a little bit hotter, closer to maybe 14 Plato, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's you know it turned out to be a great beer. That's the anti mash out. Yeah. So when you're making <laughs> this at home, like uh, is that around the same ABV you're trying to get? Yep. I okay. Mean, I, I, for this particular beer, I don't. I'm not looking for anything big. Okay. You actually want to balance the malt, the, the honey, and the smoked hops together yeah. you know, so that you can get everything. And I think sometimes, like, with big beers, they get to be too heavy or too hot, you know, so yeah. all you get is alcohol. Oh, what did we make that was, like, 11% alcohol? Yeah, we... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not not on purpose. It was... Uh, we, we brew in a bag, and we were getting, like, 58% efficiency, and we decided to try a couple things to increase that, and every one of them worked. <laughs> really? So, yeah. Was yeah, it low so, volume that or that that caused it? Or uh, well, we uh, we started we we started to squeeze the bag one, 
Uh, we bought a little more grain to help us increase the efficiency too. Sure. Uh, and we bought a new thermometer. This was right when we started. So our our we had like a one of those like ten dollar kitchen thermometers. Sure. Uh, and I think we were just in the wrong temperature range the whole day. Sure. Yeah. And that'll kill efficiency if your temperatures aren't right. So yeah. I have some brewer friends that actually have two and sometimes three thermometers with them on brew day. So they're kind of doing a balancing act, like checking with all three. All right, I'm going to take the average of all three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so there is. I've seen as much of a five to seven degree range in the three different thermometers. Yeah. So. Well, and just depending on where in the kettle you've got the thermometer, the, yeah. I mean, even just dipping it down another couple inches can vary the temperature enough. Sure. Well, I think this kind of brings up, so you're basically, you're, you're known as an equipment guru um, by a lot of the brewers, brewers around. So I, I feel like anybody can brew a batch of beer that's reasonable and tastes good for about a hundred bucks of, of startup fees, like just get a kettle, get a get a burner. But then when it comes to starting adding on, I feel like there's, from my perspective, there's three like low hanging fruits. If you got a couple hundred bucks to throw at it, you can control the temperature of your fermentation, you can control the temperature of a mash by recirculating or something like that, or you can yep. get a kegerator and save yourself time on bottling day. So if you were starting over. And you had, you know, your hundred bucks starter kit, and you could make one improvement. Where would you go? I hate bottling, so (laughs) (laughs) that was one of the first things that I took out of the picture. Was I bought like fifteen corny kegs just so that I could start kegging beer. I I was sick and tired of cleaning bottles and bottling. Uh, The only bottling I do now is strictly for either sharing if I'm sending something to a buddy on the East Coast, or if I'm submitting for a competition. Sure. Are are you bottling like? Uh, on kegging day or are you like using like a, a beer gun to get it out of the keg i use a beer gun to get it out of the keg so all carb in fact i've started recently hmm. probably my next investment is going to be a blickman quick carb sweet or buy the components to build my own Wait, what? Uh, i think i've seen online that there's some some uh build kits or not build kits but design plans out there that you can build a quick carb for like 35 bucks instead of the 190 that blickman wants so i might go that route yeah, but it. it's great because literally, like all case in point, uh, two, three weekends ago, a buddy of mine had what he calls his winter classic. And we get like 10, 12 home brewers. Mm. We come, we serve a beer through jockey boxes or bottles. Okay. And people come in that are friends, get like 100 guests. They bring potluck food and they judge, score all of our beers. And at the end of the night, somebody gets dubbed, you know, the winner, winter classic. I won three or four years ago with a uh, peppermint patty porter uh, that was really phenomenal. I think the thing that kicked me over the edge, though, was one of the guys brought in a gallon of vanilla ice cream, and everybody wanted to start making these ice cream floats with the beer, and suddenly I had this massive line in front of me, and people were giving me these scores of 10s. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if everyone got to do a food pairing with their beer, it might be more of a playing field, but right. you, you got it but, crushed. But So literally that weekend, I, I had brewed a beer two weeks prior to – and I transferred to keg the night before, mm. let it settle, mm-hmm. and then blasted out what was in the bottom of the of the keg because there's always going to be some some settling. Yeah. And then I used the Quickman Quick Carb and carved that the day that I was serving for the competition. Two kegs. Literally took an hour per keg to to force carb them. Can I ask you like uh, uh, maybe a dumb question? Well, no, it's a, it's a dumb question. But what it, what is it? What is it? The Quick Carb. What is the quick so, carb? So for a corny keg, so typically to keg your beer and to force carb it, yeah. you would have your beer in a kegerator at, say, 42 degrees. Right. You then hook up your CO2 to your – some people do it to the get to the uh, beer line itself. So they're yeah. actually carbing from below, from the bottom of the keg. Okay. Yeah. But you're setting it at a specific pressure. So you've got temperature, pressure, and then time right. should equate to a specific volume of gas. Okay. Uh, with the quick carb, it's got a outlet, so it's drawing off of your dip tube. It's running it through a pump, and then the pump is hooked up to a T that has a oxygenating stone in that T. Okay. So you're running gas into that oxygenating stone. Okay. And then it's feeding it back into the gas line, gas side of your corny keg. So it's just circulating the beer. And at first, it's all kind of stirred up and bubbly. But mm-hmm. after an hour of doing that, it settles out, and you've got a very nicely carved beer. So it becomes like the next one. 
when you're when you're trying to quick carb and you're shaking the keg constantly, <laughs> it's like that. But it's uh, it's like the ninety minute IPA, uh, the way that you're constantly shaking hops into that, but with carbon CO two. Yeah. yeah, and and it's not like you're really shaking it though. I right, mean, right, it's right. Just, it, you're you're passing the beer past the the oxygenating stone. Right. It's, much more effective than and and I can't, I gotta admit I've done this in the past where I needed a beer right away <laughs> or to be carved right away is to do, drop it on its side and you're playing log roller you know trying to yeah. get this thing going. Yeah. Uh, it'll work in a pinch. I saved the beer all over the place or at least when I, I saved I saved the beer using that quick carb as well. Yeah. I had um I had gotten the flu and I had so I had knee surgery a while back hmm. uh, and I had a batch of beer that sat for way too long and it was an IPA. And there's no way it was an IPA anymore because all the everything, all the dry hopping that I did. Yeah. So I used the quick carb and I used some cryo hops. Okay. While I was carving. Okay. And it turned it into this hazy, you know, New England I style hey, IPA. That's 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 what all the kids are drinking. <laughs> and it was phenomenal. It was just because I did it that day though, right? So it was just fresh cryo hops, you know, in yeah. your face, aroma, flavor, the whole works. You're like, I drew it up this way. This is exactly what I was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do it again. I tell you now that I know the trick. I'll use less hops though. Hmm. Sure. Like when I did a little too much and I ended up blocking my dip tube, I had to do a couple of purges to. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That'll be no. If a cleaning, cleaning dip tubes is not, not the greatest fun. No, but it was under pressure. So I, at the party that I was serving it at, I just kept taking apart the fitting on the top of the keg and blast a little bit of pop pellets that were in there, put it back on. It would clog up again, open it up. Squirt those out. After three times, we were done. Didn't have to do it anymore. Oh, there you go. Problem solving. Again, you know, it's it's constantly problem solving. It's amazing what we can do when we just need the beer from the keg. Like, <laughs> the amount of engineering that goes into getting beer into and out of a keg is fascinating. Yeah. So, uh, but other than switching to kegs, um, temperature control is a difficult task and, and there's lots of different ways to do it, right? You can do a rim system, which I helped a buddy of mine, a neighbor of mine fabricate his rim system. And he bought a, a manufactured rims model, but he had to buy the SSR and all the control mechanisms to, sure. to turn that on. So I mm. wired all that up for him and got that all configured and we ran lines. And I don't particularly like that one because you're putting direct heat to the wart. You know, with that right. heating element in there, mm. I use a Herms coil. So I, I have, my Herms tank has the coil inside of it, so I'll circulate my mash through that Herms coil back to the mash, almost like a Vorloff, but to maintain temperature. Okay. Right, so the, the wart is running through like a – essentially, it's like a wart chiller, but a, it's going through a hot liquor tank and not it's a – It's a heat exchanger, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, essentially yeah. what it is. And in a wart chiller, it's it's a heat exchanger. We're just – it's a chill exchanger, a cold exchanger, right? right? Yeah. It's, but the concept's the same. So – the key there, though, is that you don't want to have your hot liquor tank too high of a temperature so that you're bringing this really high temperature back into the wart. You want it to be very close to your whatever your spar or your um, mass temp is supposed to be. Yeah, so if right. your mass is 154, maybe 156, maybe okay. two degrees above. Mm -hmm. I made some mistakes early on because my sparge was going to be 170. I just maintained my hot liquor tank at 170. But the problem was with 25 feet of coil in there, by the time that wort was coming out, mm. it was 170 degrees. That's going back on top, lost efficiency, got astringency, had some real issues with it. So, sure. so I try to maintain that two degrees, one to two degrees above whatever my normal temp is or my mash temp. Are you, uh, are you brewing electric then? Nope. All gas. Real Okay. And you can get that yep. kind of control out of gas. I have to pay a lot of attention to it. That's, that's, that's beautiful. I, I have I have my eye on some stuff. So I've gone to a couple of brewers retreats, and there's a company uh, in in Fort Collins, mm -hmm. Colorado, that called Ruby uh, Brewing Systems, mm -hmm. and they make these you know three tier or not three tier. It's a it's a level system, three pot systems with pumps, and they actually have and this gas. The, most of the ones that they make, mm -hmm. they have an igniter burner monitor system where you can set the temperature and it will literally turn on the gas, open the valve, ignite it, bring it to temperature and then shut all that back off. You can walk away from it and all that works. It's not cheap. It'll run you about $200 per burner that you're going to try to do that. Yeah, to, sure. But it will work. It works. 
better than you watching it with your eyes and going, okay, I'm going to turn my gas down now so that I don't overshoot, right? That's where the problem comes in is, oh, okay, I'm at 155. Let me turn the gas off. And all that hot water from the bottom works up to the temp probe. And then you're at 160 and like, oh, crap. Yeah. Yeah, well, so. we're trying to keep mash temperatures and it's 30 degrees outside. We're very jealous of all these things. So I think sometimes when, when new brewers take a look at, at something like what, what you're you're building, a 10-gallon, three-tier system, they get a little intimidated. So so kind of help us out. What was your – describe your first batch of beer and how that went. My first batch of beer was using a single burner and a single pot with a partial grain kit that I purchased from a local homebrew club the day after – I actually attended a class at their homebrew at that homebrew shop. Yeah. I had some equipment that I'd borrowed from a friend of mine who used to homebrew. Sure. Stuff was all sitting up in his attic. So I borrowed burner, the pot, the kit, you know, that had airlocks and tubing and all this other stuff. Mm. Um, did some research, learned it in the class. And in fact, ironically, because I had hops growing in my yard that I decided to smoke them, to dry them, mm-hmm. I decided to throw in the dry hop some of those smoked hops into an IPA that I had made on my first batch of beer. So so back up a little bit. You grew hops before you brewed. That's correct. They're just cool. Hops are great. They're, you know, I've been drinking beer all my life, right? So it's not like I didn't know what hops were right. and didn't appreciate hops. But I just had them growing on my property because I thought they were cool. They actually came from a buddy of mine, the, the guy that loaned me the equipment. Sure. He sure. had them growing on his property. And when I moved into this house 11 years ago, I was like, man, can I get some of those? So we dug up, took half the crown that was growing on his property, transplanted it to my house. And it produces probably, I want to say, about two pounds pre-dried hops. Okay. So okay. once they dry down, it's probably closer to eight ounces. But – Every year. And I've since added a few other ones over the years. I've got Warrior out there. I've got Nugget. And I think I've got a Chinook on the corner there that just has not blossomed well at all. I don't know if it's in the wrong spot or what, but it's not producing. But the kind of decorations on the side of the beer shed. I have a 10 by 10 beer shed on the side of the house that all my equipment and I brew in. I believe that's your brewery, sir. It's a shed. Uh, (laughs) I, I live in a section of Oregon that's right near the mouth of the gorge. Okay. And... From November to February, March time frame, mm-hmm. we get a phenomenon here called the east winds or the gorge winds. Okay. And okay. it will blow 25, 35, 40 miles an hour steady coming down out of the gorge. And there's no way I could go sit on the driveway and brew. So if you had a planned brew day and the gorge winds come in, forget it. You're done. So it was kind of a necessity to have a, a plus I needed to get stuff out of the house because it's <laughs> kind of starting to take over the garage and yeah. Dan, basement. And, you know, as you yeah, said, it's a hundred dollar investment that starts to blossom and get bigger and bigger and bigger. I'd hate to really add up everything that I've don't do it. Over don't, don't do it. Don't don't think about it. <laughs> don't we don't there. think about it. Like <laughs> we're still pretty early on in the process, yeah. but don't do it. Don't do it. We, uh, we, we, we went to kegging about about six months ago. It was very nice. Yeah. It was a very nice choice. Yeah, sure. So actually, uh, uh, here's a question. Um, so like I'm I'm in my early 30s, right? Yeah. So about the time I turned 21, it was sort of we were in a whole new world of like a beer revolution. Suddenly we just had every style of beer you can imagine available. I'm assuming you're maybe a little bit older than me. Yeah, I am. A couple certainly. years. Uh what was it like what were you drinking when you turned 21? Like what was that like? Well, and so then- I I actually was around and drinking beer when the drinking age was still 18. In fact, nice. I lived in Massachusetts when they changed the drinking age from 18 to 21. But I had just turned 18 and I got grandfathered in because I had oh. already turned 18. Okay. So I was still in high school and I had a lot of friends because I could go to the package store and buy cases of beer. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, back then we were probably drinking. I had friends that drank Budweiser and Coors. Yeah. I tended to drink the Heineken Moosehead, I think mm. it was called. Molson Golden was another one that I liked to drink. St. Pauli Girl was another one that I used to drink. Classic. To me, those were a little bit more craftier, and I don't know if it was just the green bottle that made me think that. And then I ended up joining the Navy at, when I was 18. Okay. And a lot of the places I got to see, I got to try world beers or global beers. This is long before the craft beer revolution ever started, you know. 
Sure. But uh, I remember I was in Pensacola. I was stationed in Pensacola, and there was a, brewer, a bar down there that had beers of the world. Mm-hmm. And you actually, they had probably 150, 200 beers, all bottles. There might have been a few tap handles, but you would sign up you did, and be part of the club. And I think at 50 beers, they gave you a glass. And then at like 120 beers, you actually got like a beer stein with your name on the bottom of it. Yeah. So that when you went there, you could actually get the beers and um, fill up your stein and drink out of your stein. So, and, you know, you were drinking all sorts of stuff from Germany, from Finland, you know, from wherever. Most of the stuff really wasn't from the U.S. because U.S. beers were, were really <laughs> shit beers back yeah. then. Well, I think that's, that's what's interesting is, like, I, I, I was even reflecting on this the other day. Like, even when I started, uh, I graduated from high school in 2000. I started drinking beer around that time. And, like, Sorry. the uh, the thing you wanted to do was be drinking an import. Because uh, right. this was right, right at the beginning of, of, of for me at least the, the 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 craft the craft beer boom. I'm sure some of it was happening and I didn't know about it. Mm. But now import is like, well, why would you drink it imported if you can get it fresh from here? Right. And it's certainly the style though too, right? Like a lot of imported Belgians are big, right? People want to get those traditional Belgian beers. Yeah, I um, want something that a monk made. Right. In a church that no one's ever been to. Yeah. So. <laughs> the, the monks go to that church every day, Jason. Uh, well, but some of the cool ships that they're making over there, right? The, you know, um, those are sought after. But mm-hmm. yeah, Heineken is now considered, you know, not craft beer. My wife just got home. She's going to pass by. Oh, uh, excellent. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> she walks with the dog. Um, um, well, no, no, actually, Heineken gets, gets, gets crap for being stored in the green bottle, right? Like, oh, right, it's light yeah. struck. You can't have Heineken. Oh, I forgot. I used to drink Rolling Rock and Genesee Cream Ale, too. Oh, Genesee Cream Ale. Uh, so uh, our, our, our friend of the show and, and previous guest, Jay from Jay, Jay's Beer Reviews, uh, he has Genesee Cream Ale on stock at his home. That's his favorite, right. uh, that's his favorite closet beer. I, yeah. I occasionally buy a can or two of it just to have because it is. It's, it, it brings back memories. Unfortunately, excuse me, I was 16 years old. I had an older brother who was 20-something at that time, and he got me a job on a construction site with him, and we used to have weekend softball games or even flag football, mm-hmm. and there was always a keg of Genesee Cream Ale on the sidelines. And, you know, he used to tell me, here, just drink. It'll get you messed up. I didn't like the taste of it, but, you know. So I, I blame my brother for contributing to the delinquency of a minor. That's he fair. doesn't even drink beer nowadays, you know. But now I'm in this huge, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, he's not and drinking it, and, and you're making uh, high quality beers for others to consume. So, correct. At least I've taken it to a level. I'm, you know, that I'm doing something with it. Our club is really a phenomenal club. We've got. Over 300 members in the club. We hold monthly meetings. Mm-hmm. We have education topics at every meeting. Our goal, I mean, one of our bylaws is to actually educate not only our members, but the public, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got nice. Big Brew Day coming up in May. So we're heavily involved in that so that we can educate people. In fact, Pacific Northwest Homebrewers Conference, we were heavily involved in that. We're somewhat involved in, we're helping NHA or AHA, excuse me, from the competition aspect of it. So, in fact, just last weekend, we had the judging for first round in Portland. I don't know what the other cities were for first round judging, but we had over 750 entries Mm -hmm. that took three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, to get through all 750 entries and um, judged all the way to best of show or finals, advanced, advanced to the next round. That's a lot of work and a lot of uh, delicious beer, hopefully. Well, so I, I unfortunately am not BJCP certified. Um, I think that's a good thing personally because there's a lot of styles that I'm just not that big on that I don't want to have to go to a competition and they're going to say, okay, go drink, you know, go test the Belgians or go drink these. or Yeah. Uh, uh, I like my IPAs. I like my stouts, you know, uh, a few other things that I'm really big on, but not a huge Belgian fan. Uh, there used to be a whole thing with the like the the uh, certified uh, judging where uh, there was a brewery here in town. We're in Indianapolis, uh, and there's a brewery here in town called Chili Water that used to take home 
just a just a buttload of uh, state fair medals because we have a, a a state fair brewing competition. Right. And they would take home a bunch of the medals, and I would never go there because I was like, well, they're brewing to the style, right? They're bre- they're brewing expressly to meet the requirements of the style because that's what the Correct. judges are going to go for. Correct. And then I went there uh, just because friends were going there one time, and like they make ridiculously good beer. And I felt like, oh, I've been a fool for so long. Why have I not been coming here? Why have I been giving them such crap for not... Because I wanted it to be artistry. I wanted it to be like willy-nilly. We're throwing stuff in there and seeing what sure. happens. And no, at the end of the day, if you make good beer, you make good beer. Whether it's two style or whether it's just something you want to make that's not and, too and, specific And I'm of style. that school of thought is that I prefer... I don't like to be restricted to say, oh, if I'm going to make this German style beer and I have to use these noble hops mm. in order create that beer right. well it's really limiting my creativeness yeah right? i like to be able to just brew and quite frankly there's times where okay i need to brew an ipa for an event this beer up here is actually um i'll talk about that in a minute but i'll go look in the freezer and see what i have in the way of hops in the freezer and i'll i'll write a recipe based on what i have and and do that way this beer here that's sitting behind me um there's a local brewery called Zeugel House that's owned by Alan Taylor. He also owns Pints. Mm. And every month or two, every about two months, he holds what he calls Zeugel Share. So he'll, they'll brew a batch of beer, and oftentimes we'll have some input onto what that beer is going to be. And for 35 bucks, you go down with your carboy or however you want to pick the beer up, and you get five gallons of the wort and a um, – they're in pouches now instead of cans. So, so if you're familiar with Imperial Yeast. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they've switched to pouches now. But you used to get either a can and now a pouch of yeah. yeast along with it for that 35 bucks. So essentially my brew day was driving down to Zeugel House and picking up five gallons of wort and bringing it home. No cleanup, no nothing. I'm doing a charity event next month at local, um, what are they? Oddfellows Lodge. Oddfellows. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oddfellows. the Order of Oddfellows. Yeah, and they're having their annual Oddball Fez Fest. And what we've done for the last couple of years is that five brewers mm-hmm. will bring a five-gallon batch of beer, and we are we are the alcohol for the evening. Nice. Um, they will vote. They're not paying for the beer, but they're voting for your beer by putting a dollar in a jar that's in front of your beer. Mm-hmm. And they can put five dollars in. They can put ten dollars in. It's it's all a charity event. In fact, the last two years we've we've gotten five thousand not us the brewers specifically but the event has right. raised over five thousand dollars for a local the local community there for supporting kids that um low-income families so mm-hmm. that kids can go take dance classes or they can get a, a english class or some sort of education that they wouldn't normally be able to afford that's awesome. so this beer is going to be another one of those hazy ipas that i'm going to serve at that event in, later this month i think it's the 28th of this month so as you're talking about like community engagement and other ways to do beer, can you talk about the ex- one of the reasons we do Plato's Gravity is because we think it's awesome to inform people about uh, homebrew clubs and, and brewing together with a group of people who who have a passion for it. So can you talk about how being the vice president or even just a member of the Oregon Brew Crew has has changed you as a brewer and has kind of benefited you from the community standpoint? Uh, sure. So this is my third year as as vice president of the club, and um, I've gotten to see firsthand what some of the things that we've done and been able to do, not only for our members, but for people outside of the club. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back to that beer that I brewed at Widmer on the 10-barrel system. Sure. That collaborator project, that's an annual event. So our home uh, members of our club get to brew a beer. Widmer pays for your batch of beer. So you go to our local homebrew shop, pick up your ingredients. You walk out of there scot-free. You haven't paid for a lick of it because Widmer gets the bill for, I think we had 45 entries last year too. It was probably one of the biggest ones that we had. So once that beer is brewed at Widmer, Widmer donates $4 Mm. from each keg that they sell throughout the year. And this also includes not only the beer that's brewed that year, but any beers in recent years or in past that they've rebrewed. And one of the great benefits is 
uh, Steel, there's Steel Bridge Porter, who okay. was actually a, home, was a, a competition winner by Noel Blake, who's now the, one of the committee members, is one of their annual, or it's an annual, it used to be a seasonal, like they'd only do it like around the holidays. Sure. Mm-hmm. Last year they turned it into an annual, of, or, you know, a year-round beer. $4 a keg led to a very, very large check that we received from a club, but we don't use that money. We, in turn, take that money and funnel it to Oregon State University to the Bob McCracken Scholarship Fund, okay. which supports the fermentation sciences, sciences program at OSU. So that will go to help one or two or three of the students down there. And I get letters or the club gets letters from these students thanking us for, you know, whatever funds that they got to enable them to, you know, continue in these education efforts. And in fact, I talked to Rob Widmer the other day, and he says that they have 25 employees at Widmer that have gone through that fermentation sciences program. So here they are putting money, funneling money through us. Yeah. And I don't mean that to sound bad, like we're freaking... <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, laund- that's... You know, laundering money, right? But it funnels through us. We donate it to OSU. People get trained on how to brew beer and other things, right? It's food sciences as well. Sure. And then those people end up getting a job back in the same industry or even working for the people that donated money to get them through the program. So I mean, it's it's a big, huge circle, and it's a win, 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 win yeah. all the way around. Well, I mean, so that, that thing is doing a lot just for the, the beer industry in general. But then also, uh, you were mentioning uh, before we started recording, as a part of that relationship with Widmer, basically three brewers from the Oregon Brew Crew get to get to do what you did and brew on their their 10 barrel system every year. So Correct. it's not always been 3 but typically on average 3 people get picked. Okay. So that, I mean for me what's what's that that's just like a, a fantastic relationship. So who initiated that relationship? So it actually started I just wrote and um I don't know if you get Zymer G magazine keep an eye out for it Absolutely. on the next issue. I have an article in there on the back page okay. regarding collaborator and the jacket and Rob itself. Sure. Okay. Last year or 2017 was the 20th year of the program. Wow. Uh, it started in 1998. Back then, before that, Rob and, and his brother were members of Oregon Brew Crew, mm-hmm. along with Alan Sprintz, who's at Hair of the Dog, and Fred Eckert and some other guys back then. And they decided that there just really wasn't enough options for of beer stylistically out there. And they came up with this concept to have members of OBC, which have, back then it was a much smaller group of people than it is now, sure. mm. to brew a batch of beer and they would drink it. There's nothing to style. So there's no stylistic guidelines other than would I want another pint of this? Would I drink a second pint? Right. That's really the, the goal is that it's good enough that that someone says, I'll take two. Yeah. So that's continued on. There's been as many as five winners in a year and to as few as one or two. Sure. Over, I think, I, I did all the data on it. I think it was over 60 winners over the years. There's been multiple, multiple winners. Mm-hmm. I think 19 people have won more than once. Noel Blake, who did the Steel Bridge Porter, has won four times. I've only won once. So last year uh, at our holiday party, which we have in December, because it was the 20th year, and it's funny, I showed you the picture of the jacket. Mm. I started doing some research, and I know all these. I know so many members of our club that we all have these jackets. We've all been honored enough to to win this competition. Absolutely, and you know, it's it's bragging rights, right? It's it's the the cream of the crop, right? It's it's yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. Says, I would I, I would love to talk about that if that's something that I'd accomplish. Well, so well I, done. Well I just done. want to point out for anyone listening, like it's a nice jacket too. It looks quite warm. Yeah, oh, it is. But you get it in July, you know. <laughs> I actually, I was Wearing so this proud anyway. of the night that I got it. I wanted to come home, turn on the AC, and just, you know. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Um, but I did some research, and I found out that over the years that Rob, even though he's been really sponsoring this thing and been so great, mm. had never bought himself a jacket, never wow. took the power of Rob Widmer, you know, big man on campus, so we do a thing at our holiday party. We, we honor eight to ten people in either the industry and the club for supporting membership, for member of the year, um, entrepreneurship outside of the club, sure. um, uh, report, not reporters, but writers. You know, I think uh, Jeff Allworth, we gave one last year. Okay. That, so we call them bungs. They all have a different title. 
So I gave him a collaborator bung last year. We, we gave him a collaborator bung and it honored the 20 years of this project going on. And I had a special jacket made up just for him. So he was pleased as punch when, when he received that jacket. I, I, I've seen him smile a lot, but I think that was the biggest smile I've ever seen on him. That's so that, that's cool. a really great story, and it seems like he does. And you'll see it in the back of Zemergy next month. Comes out. We will definitely look for that. And then, I, honestly, like I feel kind of inspired right now. Like I don't get out on the West Coast very often, but everyone else should just go to Widmer and drink their beer. Like that's yeah, yeah drink their beer. They're good. they're doing some good stuff. So one of the things we do uh, every episode, it's something we, we like to do. It's a little bit of fun. Is we have a segment called Jason's off the wall questions. So. Give you just okay. a second to collect your thoughts. Jason is going to ask you a question that has nothing to do with beer or home brewing, and we'll see where it takes us. All right, sounds good. Sounds interesting. Uh, it it it's super interesting, and I totally have a question prepared for you. Get excited! It is uh okay. It's it's uh it's six o'clock, uh, and it's almost sunset, and you're face is warm right okay so uh all this is happening and a pigeon flies overhead uh it does a figure eight uh and then it just sort of disappears into a tree and your toe gets stubbed right for the okay. listeners at home, he's opening his beer to pour more at this point. All right, keep going. Jason. No, well, no, no. I mean, so you, so your toe gets stubbed, right? Like you stub your stub. toe. Okay. Okay. And you swear a bunch, and then like an adorable. Are you a cat person or a dog person? I'm a dog person. That was the question. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny that you talk about the pigeon, though. I have a great poem. Okay. Can I use a little foul language, or is that not allowed? Yeah, you're going to. Yeah. Little birdie flying high took a shit in my eye. He landed on the windowsill and pecked away with his little bill. I handed him a piece of bread, and then I smashed his fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that goes back to high school, so. That's, that's fair. They're flying rats. Was it before or after he made a figure eight and flew back into the tree? <laughs> right, exactly. I don't know. So, so before the off-the-wall question, you mentioned the Bung Awards. Uh, uh, you are a previous winner of the Merle Gilmore Bung. What's that about? The Merle Gilmore Bung Award is for um, volunteerism toward the club. Okay. So when I first started with the club, I got heavily involved. I knew several members of the board already, and uh, I just started doing everything I could to help the club out, whether it was, hey, we have an out meeting over at this pub but we need chairs to get moved from Steinbart's over to the club or to the pub. I'd go down with my truck, load it up, take the stuff over, taking beer to um, the meetings, taking food to the meetings. Excuse me. All these things will earn you points towards okay. member of the year. I like to kind of fashion that the Merle Gilmore award is the runner up award. So member of the year would be the guy that gets the most points or the woman that gets the most points. Yeah. And the Merle Gilmore one gets the, is second place. Oh, fantastic. So in the first three years, I took the Merle Gilmore twice and member of the year once. That's, uh, uh, but that's impressive. I took over as vice president three years ago. And uh, when you're on the board, you don't qualify for any of the Bung Awards. Although I gave or I, I honored our – we have a one of the positions is called Burgermeister. And for the last three years, it's been taken – the position has been held by a good friend of ours, Megan Thompson, who's the wife of our president. Mm. And she has really just evolved that position and done such a phenomenal job that I gave her the golden spatula. I didn't give her a bung. It was called the golden spatula award just to honor the, the fantastic work that she's done. And, you know, because at our meetings, we have to have potluck. You know, we like people, even though we're drinking beer, we like to keep them fed so that they're not. Yeah, that know, seems like a good thing to do. We do have money set aside. So if somebody at a meeting does get too drunk, that they can Uber or take a taxi and the club will actually pay for it. Sweet. Uh, we have, I forget what that fund is called, but. Is there a bung award for the person who uses that service the most <laughs> in the year? <laughs> but no. I, so we have the ability to make up bungs, and we have on occasion for uh -huh. just unique events like that. Um, the last four years, we've been involved in an event called uh, Pure Water Brew. 
Um, oh, I was going to ask you about this. Yeah, Actually, so yeah. I, I'll describe it a little bit. So Clean Water Services, which is a water facility in Tigard, which is on the other side of the Willamette, mm-hmm. decided that they wanted to kind of start talking about repurposing water, right? There's more that we can do than just cleaning it and shoving it back into the river. Yeah. So the first year we did it, they got so much water and they could only use, they wanted to use water that was completely filtered from mm. the, the the plant. Sure. But regulators wouldn't let them do that. So they had to take it after it got into the river and then refilter that. They couldn't just take and refilter what was being pumped into the river. Yeah, okay. But over the years, we've actually gotten them to reduce that restriction. So now they have a filtration system that they're cleaning effluent, right, before it goes out to the river, repurposing it. We supply, the last two years, we've had 40 brewers involved. They each get 10 gallons of, of water to brew a five-gallon batch of beer. Mm. That beer is then canned. We use our mobile canner, and it enters into a competition. Uh, And then the final winner, last year they got to brew at Rogue. Rogue, where I was last night, their Rogue Eastside Pub and Pilot Brewery. Yeah, There's a, a group of guys on site called the Green Dragon Brew Crew, and the location used to be called Green Dragon, so that's where it came from. And they are a group of homebrewers that have brewing on that system and releasing a beer every week since 2009. Wow. So coming up on 10 years. They have been releasing a beer every week on Wednesday since 2009. It's a little 25-gallon pilot system, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, I'm brewing there on the 29th. Oh, nice. Uh, Again, my second time to get to brew with them. Okay. But uh, So the winner last year got to brew on their pilot system using clean water service. That beer was then served at and sold for the first time. An actual clean water, pr- processed water served yeah. at an establishment. Actually, I don't think it was the first time. I think Stone did a similar thing down in California. Okay. So each year we've had to kind of go through and up our ante with the state regulators to try mm-hmm. and get more out of them. Yeah. And as the last two years, two years ago is when it hit really big. We got so many media requests. Yeah. It, it just boomed we even made conan you know (laughs) his his joke was a group of homebrewers in in oregon are brewing beer made out of sewer water yeah they figured well if budweiser can why can't we (laughs) (laughs) punchline yeah unfortunately i take it a little serious right uh initially the first year people were making kind of pun jokes like i'll call them it budweiser or other things like that i mean that's that's clever it is it's trying to stray away from so the whole thing is to is to get people away from that ick factor, right? Yeah. Being effluent, right? You, as as one of the the organizers says, you can't judge water by its history, but by its quality. Yeah. I mean, we're drinking water that dinosaurs drank thousands of years ago. Yeah. All the water that we have on the planet is all the water that we're ever going to have. It, you know, and it's just going to constantly get reprocessed and reprocessed. We're trying – so their philosophy was how can we get people to talk about this and we're using beer to get people to talk about it. So mm-hmm. so at the end of the competition, they also take half of those cans of beers, the like the top 20. Sure. And they take those cans to different water symposiums that they go to and, and have these conferences. Yeah. And we'll set up a, um, a bin on their table with ice and these beers and they get people to come over and people are drinking our homebrew in Minnesota and – Philadelphia and Florida and New Orleans at all these different events. In fact, they're doing one professionally now this year to take to Singapore. They're making a four-barrel batch and canning an entire four-barrel batch at Cascade Brewing to take to a symposium in Singapore later June, I think it is. So, got an empty glass? Yeah. Well, it's not not only is it an empty glass, it's a Cascade Brewing glass. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's any more input I can put on that. That's, well, I mean, I, I think that stuff is tremendous. And I think one of the things that is interesting about – I mean, I don't know the people who don't brew themselves or have never been to a brewery for a tour realize how much water you, you do waste in the brewing process. So for sure. a group of yeah. brewers to, to take it seriously, to repurpose that and to try to that, – that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's actually a question we typically ask a lot is uh, what can we do to reduce our waste while we're making beer? So I can give you an example of that because yeah. I do something. Okay. So one, the water that I use, I found a local spring. Okay. Okay. I actually use this spring water and treat it to brew myself instead okay. of using the local water because my local water 
isn't the best. Portland water is a lot better, but I live about 50 miles east of Portland. Okay. Okay. I'm so pleased with my water. But I have a 250-gallon water tank outside my beer shed brewery, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> that I recover all my chill water. Okay. I have 69 roses on my property. So in the summer months, I just repurpose that water with a pump, and I run and I water all my roses. Wow. In the winter months, that 250 gallons of water that sits in there, or 200, however much is in there, yeah. is running about 55, 50 degrees or less if it's really cold. I then use a pump, and instead of using house water and filling the container, sure. I just circulate it amongst itself through my counterflow wort chiller. Right, and then you got nice chill the temperature water. Temperature will rise, rise over the course of the usage. Yeah. Um, I typically do two batches a day when I brew, so I, I tended to use a lot of water, and I was tired of seeing water just go away, you yeah. know, when its sole purpose was really just to chill something. So it was... You know, we talk about expenses, but for me, the $200 or whatever I spent on that nice container was well worth it. Either repurposing the water that I'm using or repurposing it. You know, it's not right, going yeah. away. given us today like just a, a, a ton of fantastic reasons or a ton of fantastic ways that brewing can make a positive impact but at the most basic level and we like to ask every guest this like why do you brew beer oh the myriad of answers i could give to that so i don't know how to prioritize it one i like to drink beer that's fair but two i like the creativeness in it and, and the ability to to take your knowledge apply it to create a recipe, not mm. to find a clone recipe online or sure. something like that or something out of a book, but to take the knowledge that you've gained. Uh, one of my favorite phrases is I like to say, you you learn to brew, but then you brew to learn. I love it. I've you're never heard that's amazing. You're evolving and learning every time you brew, right? So you're taking a raw material and you're creating something. And if you're just drinking it yourself, well – then you got a drinking problem. Right? <laughs> right? You know, and I do drink a fair amount of what I make, but I also share a lot of it, right? right. Sure. And and it, and it's that feedback that you get from from doing all that, from spending time and energy to put your effort and love into something, and then someone says, "Man, this is a great beer. I love this." Can I? And you see them come back a second time, and man, I'm going to drink this beer all night long. Well. That's a win-win right there. You know, you know you've done something right when three guys keep coming back and you're pouring five beers and they want your beer instead of the other four. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that that's pretty that's pretty rewarding. We uh, we've had uh, we've had I think one beer that 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 people are are, are kind of bananas for, and then another one because you know all your friends tell you that everyone is good, but then it's it's the uh, Similar to the yeah, collaborators. Yeah, if they don't, then you're not going to share it with them anymore. That's right. <laughs> and then similar to the collaborators' requirements, like when they get a second pint, then I know I've succeeded. Right. Exactly. Or if they're asking for a growler to take a growler home. <laughs> that's yeah. exactly right. I don't keep growlers around because that's uh... – I have a double IPA that I've been making uh, for probably since I started. Mm. Um, it was a clone. This goes back to making a clone, but it was Stone's 10th anniversary ale. Mm-hmm which was four years removed when I started brewing. So I okay. didn't have the beer to even use as a reference. All I had was a was memory and some stuff I could find online. So I've been brewing it, trying to perfect it, and I have friends that now come over to my house that will leave if I don't have ten SC10, which is what I've dubbed <laughs> it, SC10. Like, what? You don't have SC10? See, I'm out of here, you know? And they'll go halfway down the driveway and then turn around and come back. But well, sure. There's still beer. To, Knowing how much they like that one beer, that you know, oh, SC10, gotta have some, gotta have some. That's 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 beautiful. I think we all long to make a beer like that, and it also kind of puts you in the same mindset as some of the small brewers because people actually leave their places when they don't have the right beer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I want to spend a little time as we come to the end of the show uh, to let you talk about uh, you are presenting on on smoked hops at the upcoming Homebrew Con. Can you talk a little bit about how that talk came to be uh, and maybe give us a little taste of, of what that'll be like? Well, it's it's kind of funny. Um, I had initially, since I spoke at um, Pacific Northwest Homebrewers Conference last year, and I spoke to my, my equipment geek side of things, and I did a presentation on building your own homebrew uh, brewing sculpture, mm. 
But back in November, Matt Bowling, or yeah, Matt Bowling and Gary Glass came out from AHA to Portland since NH Homebrew Con is mm. going to be here in Portland. And they were doing a walkthrough the next day, the convention center to kind of gauge the space and see what they were going to do. So they reached out to Jim Thompson, our president, and myself and said, hey, can we meet you guys for a beer? So we're down in Portland uh, having a few beers at Loyal Legion and we're chatting and Jim happens to bring up the whole collaborator thing and says, so um, yeah, he made this beer with smoke tops. And both Gary and Matt were like, wait, what? <laughs> Which is, to me, it's, 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 and I'm actually going to start the presentation this way. It's smoke tops, question mark, and a big, wait, what? <laughs> Nine times out of 10, that's typically the response I hear. Because people are like, what? Yeah. You're like, smoking it? No, no. <laughs> Smoke that. I then kind of described everything to Matt, and Matt says, you need to put in a proposal to, to talk about that. That's yeah. what people want to hear about. So I decided to put in two presentation proposals, so my equipment proposal and my smoke cop proposal, mm. uh, and the smoke cop proposal was accepted. Sure. So I'm in the process of actually having to write up a, a, a presentation now. I have everything in my head. I know what I want to do. I'm actually yeah. going to do a comparison. So a side-by-side of my Lazy Bee that I made with Widmer. Mm. I'll have a batch of that that has no smoke tops that will be comp- will be paired next to a batch using the smoke tops. Sure. Yeah. Kind of get an idea of what the beer tastes like. I'll talk about how that process of rehydrating the beer or the the beer, and I think we did this in the pre-show, but we didn't talk about it live. Sure. When I brewed Collaborator at Widmer, yeah. to get the smoked hops into the beer, we were brewing in February. My hops that I smoke at my house are fresh hops. They're actually straight off the vine. Within an hour or two of being picked, I have them on the smoker getting them dried. What I typically do is I take half of what I end up with of the year, and I make a fresh hop beer with it. Okay. So. Yeah. That's a pretty busy day for me because I'm, I'm harvesting the hops and I'm brewing a fresh hop beer with those or yeah. half of them. And then I'm setting the other half and got those going in the smoker. You need some uh, assistant so brewers on that day. All those guys over there drinking that IPA that they leave if you don't have <laughs> need to come out and help, I think. <laughs> so because we were we brewed the collaborator batch at Widmer in February, we didn't have access to fresh hops. So we needed to kind of figure out a way. And, and I talked to... Tom Bly the other day, we were actually discussing how it really was a true collaboration. It wasn't just, oh, come brew the beer with us. Yeah. We actually sat down, had discussions, talked about different elements of the beer and how are we going to do the smoke hops. So they gave me some dried hops that I rehydrated a couple of different ways, uh, steamed, sprayed, and soaked. The soaked were just just completely drenched. And the dried as a control. And, and surprisingly enough, after smoking all these hops, Doing a split batch and, and treating four different batches with the four different hops, uh, we ultimately decided to, to use the dried hops. Okay. So I'm going to kind of talk about that whole process of, of, of how we did that and how we tasted it and decided the different elements. Um, it's interesting that in just making those minor changes that there are unique differences in, in the beers when you taste them. Um, so... I have a surprise at the end of it as well that I'm going to surprise everybody. So we're going to do something that I don't think has ever been done with a beer ever. Okay. Well, so if you are if you are listening to this on your way to Homebrew Con, and we hope you are, uh, <laughs> make sure to head up Brian Hassip's talk. So not only will he have a great surprise for you, but I believe he mentioned that you'll get to taste some amber honey lager and some amber – not lager, amber honey beer. It's an, uh, yeah, amber, American amber ale with honey and smoked hops. Uh, the second, I'm actually doing another comparison as well. I'm going to do a porter mm. or a smoked porter, Ooh. and Ooh. there'll be a smoked porter. So I'll, I'll do a 10-gallon batch. I'm going to split batch it. Mm. Uh, once I get the second batch, before I start the boil, while it's still at 170, 180, sure. I'm going to steep some smoked malt in it to get that smoked malt into that beer. Yeah. Okay. And the other one, I'm going to drop four ounces of smoked hops in it. Okay. And then there'll be a side-by-side comparison of a smoked porter versus a smoked hop porter. And that's not the surprise. That's that's just another. So there's actually going to be five beers to taste at my presentation. My God, sir, this is beautiful. Yeah, I'm actually a little worried, though, because um, Matt sent me an email that says he's putting me in a hall that has a capacity of 600 people. 
And I'm not worried about talking to 600 people. I says, I don't know that I can make enough beer to serve five batches for 600 people. So yeah. I'm hoping that that number is closer to 300. So five gallon batches of each of those, everybody will get two to three ounces of the beer. I, I don't think you have a problem here, folks. You need to arrive early, sit at the front so you can get some <laughs> of this good beer. We're gonna, let's hype it right. up and fill the hall. That's that's amazing stuff. We should we should be launching sometime uh, in mid June, just before HomebrewCon. So uh, again, if you're listening, uh, don't miss out an opportunity for some great smoked beers uh, by our guest Brian Haslip. We're gonna uh, end the show. The last thing we normally do before we wrap up is we take a mailbag question. Right now, these are just our friends who have listened to the episode. We have very <laughs> few listeners, but it is a listener question. Uh, this question comes from someone who is very near and dear to me, my wife Kelly Sibley. She didn't always drink beer, but as I've gotten so into beer, she started to drink beer. Uh, so this question is for all three of us, uh, but I'll give uh, Brian and Jason a chance to 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 hit it first because we've talked about this at length. But when people are coming into beer, sometimes they have different tastes for one style or another. Can you Certainly. talk about – she wants to know if you like a certain style, like for her it was Belgians, uh, for you it might be IPAs. Can you talk about how starting with that style and then kind of growing, growing from there, like drinking things that are somewhat like it to kind of grow and expand – your understanding and appreciation for all beers. Like, what was your path, and and what would you suggest for someone who's trying to like more beer styles? Well, I, I, I find it unique that your wife likes the Belgians or the Saisons or something like that. That's really more of where people actually grow into sure. from yeah. pale ale or a stout or something like that, and ultimately get into these beers that have these spicy or different flavor components that you find in Belgian beers, which oftentimes takes a unique pa- uh, palate to, to really uh, judge those. Right. Yeah. I think in her so case, it's, it's specifically a hop kind of like she's going the wrong direction, right? So it's going to be hard to go from Belgian and then bring her back down to something of a lesser flavor profile that you're getting from that. But, yeah. you know, I, for me, I tend to brew what I like to drink. Pale ales, IPAs, mm-hmm. stouts, porters. Um, I don't do lagers, not because I can't do lagers. Right. I just, you know, I drank those all when I was, you know, the the, the Heinekens and, yeah. and the loose heads and all that stuff, right? I'm I'm over all that. I like that bite. I like that bitterness that I get in in my IPAs and the big Russian Imperial Stouts. So it's kind of hard to say. Uh, go with your palate. Go with what you what you like. Try to master that first, or or taste that first, and then branch out from there. If you like pale ales, well, then try a fruity pale ale, something that's been treated with raspberry or blueberry, like sure. Bloops. Out of Ordnance, they have a blueberry pale ale that's phenomenal. Our local McMinimins has a thing called Ruby, which is a raspberry pale ale, uh, which I try to make a clone of, or I've got a version of it that my wife tends to put the solo cup on top of the tap upside down when people come to visit. Because- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's not out, it's unavailable. I, the first time I saw her do it, I was like, that's not out. She kicks me under the table. <laughs> <laughs> So, and there's another testament to the fact that, you know, she's enjoying the beer, so fine. So I have to make that beer every year. It's just like a requirement at this point. Absolutely. Jason, you have any thoughts uh, for Kelly? Uh, Well, I know Kelly, personally. I've met her before. Uh, Honestly, Kelly, you're fine. Uh, But no, um, like if if it is a hop aversion specifically, I don't know, eat more arugula is that weird? Uh, just some sort of like bitter, spicy greens. I think in my head, uh, hops, asparagus, asparagus, uh, anything that's kind of broccoli, a broccoli, broccoli. F- sort of florally kind of. Yeah, that's my next beer, by the way. No, I, right. I, if because if you're if you're drinking Belgian, then you like the sort of maybe the fruitiness that comes off or the, the tartness, asters, the spiciness. Yeah. If if it's an aversion to hops, then uh, just uh, and you want to expand your palate, just think about how much it tastes like a nice leafy green, some sort of cruciferous vegetable, uh, maybe some uh, floral, some flower. Ever try that hefe from Widmer? That's Someday. right. They have a bison from Widmer, meat, right? It's gonna have a, it doesn't quite have as much banana. I'm sorry to just jump over you, but I no, just you're fine. Or like even a Belgian wit, right? It's going to be a little bit lesser on the scale of true Belgians. It, it, it's but still the banana ester is still that kind of coriander, orange peely type stuff. Yeah, well, spitball. 
I, and then my advice uh, to Kelly, and I, I think we're really being helped out by the new hop varietals that are coming out, where you're getting fruit-forward flavors from hops. You're getting yeah. you know, grapefruit. Of course, citrus been around for a while. And I think as the brewing industry is moving uh, into this kind of fun, hazy beer option, I think that might be the bridge for her because those beers aren't really focused on hop bitterness. They're, hope, they're right. focused, they're focused on, more on the aroma and the flavors of the hop And itself. those are the types of things she likes about Belgian beers. So I think, you know, looking into some of those super hop forward beers that are, are fruit and aroma forward uh, might be a gateway, but we'll have to see how that plays out. You just have to get over the fact that your glass of beer looks like orange juice while you're drinking it. So. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is a little off-putting. Uh, I kid you not. I don't even like. I don't mind haze beers, but we have literally shit on them the past two episodes. Right. Really. And it's, like it's not. It's one of those things where like I'm gonna drink it and I'm gonna enjoy it, but it's just so ubiquitous now. Like everyone's doing it. So yeah, everybody suddenly. is doing it. Problem is, is I don't think they're very shelf stable. So yeah, that's why they're not being really distributed a lot because. There's so much so, so much in solution that I think if you had one of those cans like yeah. Treehouse or Trillium or even Hetty Topper from Alchemist and all yeah. that, that when they get somewhere and sit for six weeks in your refrigerator and you pour it, all that sediment's now down on the bottom of your can and you're drinking a clear beer. You're like, wait, this isn't hazy. Yeah. But it's don't don't really shake it up table. first, though. That's not the answer. <laughs> Right, it's not the answer. No. Yes. Oh, it's a, it's a it's a it's a hot bomb. Uh, uh, Brian, I want to thank you a ton for taking the time to to join us on Plato's Gravity. This has been really sure, fun I'm for glad us. You guys reached out to us. Where I reached out to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, for our listeners, Brian can be found. Uh, he has a Facebook page uh, under his name, Brian Haslip. That's H-A-S-L-I-P. Uh, you can also find him uh, through the Oregon Brew Crew website, which is www.oregonbrewcrew.org. Uh, lots of fun stuff going on over over there. Uh, and I also just wanted to thank all of our listeners. Uh, if you have a question, you can hit us up at Plato's Gravity on Twitter or Instagram, or you can email the show at podcast at platosgravity.com. Kelly would really appreciate that. I think this is her last question uh, for the mailbag segment that she's willing to give us. <laughs> Uh, and if you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend. Uh, in the meantime, smoke some hops, brew some beer, and have some fun. Mm-hmm.